jump in, Jake. We'll go around the other side. The water in Salamander Bay is a turquoise blue, and the tide is low. It's a small bay near the ocean mouth on the south side of Port Stephens. Cameron and Lucas Ashley are pulling in trays of wild catch Sydney rock oysters, hauling them over the side of the boat one by one. Their new employee, Jake, holds the boat in place. It's his first week on the job and the Ashley brothers are still showing him the ropes. The oysters are tiny and they've latched onto these trays made of wooden frames full of cut-up plastic piping, thatched together in a grid that's appealing for the oysters to attach to. The Ashley family have oyster leases up and down the river. These leases are spots they rent in the river, suitable for aquaculture where they can grow their oysters. This one in Salamander Bay is perfect for catching new oysters, the right combination of fresh and salt water, the right distance from the sea... They leave these trays of cut pipe out on the lease and at just the right height and wait for the underside of the pipe to fill up with the catch. I'm Jess O'Cullaghan. This is The Business of Fishing, a podcast from the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries to help you get the skills you need for the office, not the boat. This episode, you'll hear from Cameron and Lucas Ashley, oyster farmers from Port Stephens, just north of Newcastle. This lot we're looking at have been in Salamander Bay for about six months, and they're covered with tiny black lumps, spat or seed oysters. These baby oysters will be cared for by the brothers for three years, until they've grown enough to sell. They're finding a tray damaged by the wind here or there. It looks fine until you go to pull it in, and then it falls apart. Cam and Lucas are patching them up so they don't lose anything. The boat is shallow and we're low on the water. It's slowly filling up with as many trays as it can carry, all stacked on top of each other. It can carry seven or eight tonnes. Boat full, we turn back for the shed, away from the mouth of the river. We're carrying hundreds of thousands of oysters, which will need a lot of care before they make it to someone's plate. Cameron and Lucas grew up on this oyster farm. They've always worked here with their parents. They know us as the Ashley boys. Even as far over as as Karua, they all know us as the Ashley boys. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right. Apparently they they think a lot of us because of Dad. You know, Dad's done a lot in the um, industry and... It's just, that it's, just been, it's just the respect through him, what he's done, and, yeah, it's carrying through us. But with their parents, Geraldine and Don, stepping back, the brothers have taken on more defined roles, and they have big plans for the future of the business. You're going to hear about how they define their own roles, use technology to save time, and plan for the future. Cam's first memories are of coming to work at the oyster farm with his dad. Definitely, yeah. I remember like being on the boat with Dad when I was like five years old. Yeah, right. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the front deck of the punt, just falling asleep. I'd wake up and I'd go, oh, here we go. We'll start doing some work now. And Dad would go, no, we're going home now. I'd, I'd <laughs> just slept through it all, missed it all. <laughs> so I had to stay awake. <laughs> Have to stay awake now. Have to stay awake now, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. <laughs> I told Jess about when we used to be in the punt with a blanket around us, yeah, going yeah. across the, going across on like a cold morning. Yeah, it's freezing. Three o'clock Absolutely in the morning. Freezing. 
Don got into oyster farming in the 80s. He got out of the Navy and found himself working on a huge oyster farm for a massive company. When it went bankrupt, he had to find something else to do. Before he found this place, he was working out of another shed up the road. Geraldine was working there too, a few days a week. And it was just, he might have two days a week of work or one day a week. It wasn't really solid, so he was looking for his own farm. Then he found out that this shed was available where the, where the guy was looking to get out. The guy offered his setup for a good price and the Ashley family had their oyster farm. Yeah, it's been like that since 1995. 95. 90, 95, it's been like that, so... And so that was the shed and a couple of the leases? Yeah, it was the yeah. shed and a couple of leases. Um, I think it would have been that one, one... That one up at Gordon's and... One, two... Lemon tree? Three, four leases. And now we, we would have 13 leases, yeah. And I would say that we've probably quadrupled or five times to what it was when Dad started. Cam's worked on the oyster farm since he was in year 10. Just before the end of year 10, Dad's, um, he'd done his back in and he couldn't, couldn't walk or anything. And um, it was only my mother and my father and I think my older sister was working here as well. With his dad out of action, Cam had to keep the family business running. I just left school and came and just started doing everything that he couldn't do. Like all the stuff out in the water and all the lifting and all that sort of stuff. It was a steep learning curve. He'd spent a lot of time at work with his dad, but this was the first time he'd had to fill that role. Learn everything while his dad explained the ins and outs of the job. Put the weight on my shoulders, but it was okay. It was all good, yeah. I was still playing football back then and um, I had to give that up because of work. Their dad's back came good again. Must have been about a year later and he was right. But that year taught Cam everything about the job being out on the water, how and when to move the oysters, to grade them and keep them growing, keep them healthy. It was a crash course in the oyster business and he hasn't looked back since. Haven't really done anything else, have we, Luke? No. No. Really. <laughs> it's always just been doing this, eh? Hey? Yeah. And did you always know you wanted to be part of it? <laughs> no. Nah. Got roped in, like you said. <laughs> roped in. <laughs> yeah, right. And what age were you when you got roped in? Uh, so I went right through school to year 12, but after school I naturally just come around here and started working straight away. But I'm still learning, learning what's going on around me and just learning the role. So, But then again, stepping up into a leadership role where Dad's retiring and Mum's retiring and taking on the book work that's different again. It's taking on more of a role. Cam and Lucas worked together a lot, like the trip out to the Salamander Bay lease, where they worked together to bring in all those trays. But they have their own roles too, which have become more defined as they formalise the process of taking over from their parents as they retire. I'd say Cameron will be more focused on the lease work, where I'll be focused on the shipments and the, and the money handling and that, that, sort of, that sort of thing. So it's good to split it up, get that balance going. It's useful logistically, they gravitate towards different parts of the job and so can get different jobs done at the same time. But it's also good management, with each of them having a degree of independence from one another, their own domain where they can make separate decisions without stepping on each other's toes. Do you work well together? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, we do. No, we don't. No, no we just... <laughs> No, we have our times. That's why we sort of mix it up a bit and Lucas stays in the shed and I can go out in the boat and just run things out there and, yeah, just get that balance going. And then when I come back off the water, we just sort of work together for the rest of the day on the land and it's, it's a good balance, yeah, like that. Works well. Um, we've got Jake now working with us. It's good. Um, he's going really well. 
Heading back to the shed, Lucas shows me the oysters they've just pulled in, up close. He pulls back the edge of one of the long pieces of white piping and lifts it up so I can see the underside. So you look under there, Jess. That's all our new growth for the next... And how old are they, like six months? They're probably like, yeah, about five to three months old. They're all different sizes, no bigger than fingernails. Black lumps on the white piping. The white pipe is really bendable and the oysters aren't clinging to it too tightly. I mean, see these, these um, slats here? We've got a machine that we just pull them through. Because they're so flexible, it scrapes it off like that. So we just scrape it off into, into trays and just put them out to grow again. The machine takes the baby oysters off each slat and now they'll grow without attaching themselves to anything, sitting within a tray alongside other oysters. They're bringing them all in now, during August and September, before the winds pick up. That's what's responsible for the broken slats we saw, those spring winds and the waves. Well, what just happened there with these ones, we picked them up off the bottom. The westerlies will start ripping, ripping them up and the nor'easter is coming through as well. We'll swing right around there and just lift them up because it's got so yeah, much. Yeah, right. That's three mil wire. It's meant to be really tough, but it still broke through it. It's good to pick so them up. So you've got to get them out before they break. Yeah. So yeah. that we'll pick up the rest of those probably next week. Yeah, right. And can you tell by looking at them, like, how good the catches be? Yeah, so that's going to be a huge catch this year, which is good for us. Yeah. Yeah, instead of, like, struggling, so we might have a bit of leeway where we can maybe dump some in the future if we have too many or sell them, so... Yeah, cool. Yeah. In this one boat, we're bringing in hundreds of thousands of oysters. There are still trays out in the water, but this catch will keep the boys busy for the next year. There are always three years' worth of oysters in the water across the 13 leases at any one time. They're different ages, different sizes. That's a lot of oysters to keep track of and a lot of work for their small team to do. They generally plan about two weeks in advance. Yeah, so we knew um, like 10 days ago that we were going to go down today and pick these up. So we'll spend uh, next week getting these all done and they should go out next Friday. We'll pick up some oysters this week for next week, get them work next week, and we always just try and just do that. So we're trying to also dry the oysters out a bit as well by doing that, trying to get a bit, uh, rid of a bit of the muscle at the moment by leaving them out of water for a bit longer, like two weeks. So I'd say nearly two weeks ahead we would know what we're doing Yeah. there. There's a handy app they use to keep track of it all, which oysters are at which lease, how long they've been there... For where our stock is out in the leases, we'll use Oyster Cloud, which is an app where you just put in your where you have out in the water and it just tells us when, it, when when's the best time to pick it up or just how long it's been out there for. So if we're I'm, taking stuff yeah. out as well. Yeah, when we're taking stuff out as well, I'll, I'll just put it down on the app, then that's it. So it takes away from drawing on the paper because it, it gets lost easy. So if it's just there on the one thing online, then it's a lot easier just to look at it. They've been using Oyster Cloud for the last couple of years and it's a game changer, giving them an overview of where their oysters are at any given time. But the app makes it easier to work together too, a way of Lucas and Cameron communicating about where their stock is. Yeah, everyone can access the app just to see what what has to be done. So, If you load the boat up and you want to take oysters up the creek and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I think I've got room there, I'm not sure. You can open this app up and you can look there and it shows you all your racks. If 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 it's up to date, it'll say, oh yeah, there's some space there for 68 trays. So we know that we can go and put 68 trays there. It's it's not like a guessing game where we drive all the way up there and we go, oh no, we can't fit them here, so we've got to drive all the way back to somewhere else and try and fit them somewhere else. So it's it's good for that as well. 
bit yeah, of organisation. The app was created locally, but it's used at oyster farms throughout New South Wales now. Lucas points to an oyster shed up the road, XL Oysters, where his dad worked for a time back in the 90s. Matt Tone, he's the one that created the app. He, used to, own, he yeah. used to work for XL Oysters up the end there and they they helped him build it. Like, they just gave him the time what, what he needed to do it and he just worked around that. So, yeah, it's been really good for us all. From that, he, I think he's got about 30 farmers down at least that's on the app, so... The Ashley boys have big plans. But for now, they have two customers for all their oysters. Two wholesalers we sell to. Only two people would would buy all of our product. Yeah, right. In Sydney. One's in Bondi and one's at Piermont Fish Market. One of these wholesalers specialises in restaurants. They open the oysters and sell direct to places that have no interest in shucking oysters themselves. Even some other people that we don't sell to, they've tried to buy oysters off Dad, but Dad's so committed to just supplying two people... It was, initially it was only one person, but this other guy yeah. came in and he seemed pretty good. So he's just committed to supplying the two people. And to be honest, we're just flat out at the moment supplying them. But their next investment could change all that. The plan is to buy a new grading machine to cut down on labour and process more oysters. A new grading machine and a shed to put it in. If we get this other uh, machine, this grading machine, we should be able to do a lot more. We should be able to sell a lot more and yeah. handle a lot more and, and, and work a lot more oysters because selling the oysters won't take as long to get the product ready for the public. This strategy would dramatically change how many oysters they can process. At the moment, what they sell isn't really determined by how many oysters they can catch, space on the leases or the time it takes to grow them to full size. Instead, the bottleneck comes at the end of the process when they're trying to grade the oysters. Filling an order can take days because they have to be sorted and graded by hand. We're taking about one to three days trying to get the whole order done where with a grading machine it'll only take like a couple of hours or a few hours just to do it and that's it like for a few, for the whole week. So mm. then we can all just focus on one thing for the week. So a lot more work will get done but it decreases the labour work in one sense but increases the output for other things. Yeah. So This means they'll be able to turn their attention to other parts of the job. For now, though, they have enough work on their hands. So at the moment, we're just shipping domestic, so just to the Sydney fish markets, and they ship to the restaurants around Sydney, where I'd say probably in the future we'd look, we'd look at other places as well besides Sydney, so maybe Brisbane or... I don't know. Like, it's, it's a huge market for oysters out there. Just, it's a, yeah, everything just goes to Sydney, doesn't it? It's a, ma- it's a matter of how can we do it, and even possibly internationally as well. Now we just... We need a lease that we can ship from internationally and, yeah, just go from there. It's just building a name for ourselves here first. Getting an oyster harvest area approved for international export is not a simple process. There are certain areas that are approved for export to Asia, Oceania and the Middle East by the Federal Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. And then the oysters must be packed in an export-registered packing facility. But as we've heard in other episodes, the appetite for Australian seafood in Asia means there is a growing export market there, if the right conditions can be met. There's no clear writing on the wall what, we, what we're going to do in the future yet, but we'll see how it goes as we come to it and make decisions based on that. We'd like to expand and sell more every year to a point where we, we would say, all right, that's a, that's a comfortable amount for us to handle. We can handle that. We won't want any more. And... Yeah, we're still trying to find that amount. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't hit it yet. Haven't hit it yet, nah. (laughs) 
Inside the shed, Jake and Lucas turn to another job, tending to the growing oysters. These are a few years older than the spat they brought in with Cam. They look recognisably like oysters. They're sorting the oysters into trays. These are different to the sort of trays used to catch the oysters. Instead, they're like a grid, a large pallet divided into squares. Lucas and Jake spread the oysters evenly around the different squares, giving them space to grow, spreading them out rather than jamming them in. Then they put a mesh cover over the top so nothing can get into the oysters and stake it on. That's what you can hear. It's a fair two. Because when we bring them back, the noise usually congested like that. Yeah, right. And they just don't, they just grow a funny shape. Mm. They, they just kind of go around so each other. So if you spread them out, they're going to grow more. Yeah, and they grow a better, a better looking shell. Mm. So it's time to make sure that over the three years they grow um, the right shape. So when it comes to the market, they're, they're a nice looking finished product. This is a lot of what Lucas's work looks like in the shed with Jake sorting the oysters. He does this sort of work while Cam's out on the water. Occasionally, he makes a sale right from the shed, mainly when tourists wander up from the holiday park up the road. Sometimes it's hard to sell to the general public because we really do um, bulk shipments, so in the thousands of dozens. So it's hard for us just to spend that half an hour aside and just deal with one person in there. Just let someone else deal with all the open oysters in there. We will still deal with them. It just um, it takes a little bit of a chance to get your day just so you want to be rather doing something else. They stack the trays on top of each other until they're about 10 high. The top of this stack of trays is what you often see out on the water. It's what I imagine when I picture an oyster farm. This lot will stay on the water for another year or so until it's time for them to harvest. Lucas recently married another oyster farmer. Her family runs a farm just up the road. Remarkably, they didn't meet at work. I've known Tasha for a long time and she's been up working with the dad for as long as I can remember. But the first time I actually knew her was when I was about 18 years old and just going to a, going down the community hall with the, with the church and everything. And she's an active part in the church and that's where I met her. So three years ago, that's when I actually started hanging out with them more and, yeah, just built up from there, so. The writing was on the wall. We all knew it was going to (laughs) happen. It was only just a matter of time. (laughs) Lucas and Cam, they're in this transition period where they're still learning the ropes and their mum and dad still love coming to work. But they know that one day they'll be running the farm on their own without their dad standing nearby to give them advice. So naturally there's that transition where dad still teaches us what to do, like, what, grow, what goes out where, what grows best in certain places. And, yeah, so he's got the wealth of experience there and knowledge where we're still learning as we go. Lucas and Tasha have a baby on the way, which means the brothers have been thinking a lot more about the future. So we'll learn what to do and what not to do in the future and the next generation that comes through will we'll tell them what we know and they'll probably say, get lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking at how Lucas and Cameron are running their business, there are clear lessons for anyone looking to shake things up or taking over a family operation. Having clear roles in the business lets you grow in your job and communicate well about how you're working and what you need to do a good job. The brothers' workflow and communication systems changed when they started using Oyster Cloud, 
and they haven't looked back. It's saving them time and energy. If you're not sure the best way to manage your production, there might be a simple way you just haven't thought of yet. Maybe there's a piece of technology that could help turn a three-day job into a task that takes a couple of hours, like the grading machine the Ashleys have their eyes on, or an app that tracks your work. Looking to the future, though, Lucas and Cameron's main goal is to grow a good oyster. Keep Dad's legacy going of of what he's done around here in this industry and um, keep it going in ourselves, you know, to the best of, of, of what we can do, I suppose what we'd like to achieve is just to be successful oyster farmers, you know. We can grow a good oyster and we should keep doing that because I believe that we're probably one of the best around here that can grow them like that, you know. Well, I have thought about working, you know, like a trade or something, like a carpentry trade or something, but now now that I think about it, like, this is probably better. Well, this is better, I'll say that. And, you know, you just don't get other jobs like this. Like, maybe working for the fisheries or something but there's nothing like this like the stories you hear from other farmers and um things that you see out in the world. yeah things you see yeah, you like just... turtles and dolphins and eagles eagles so, cool. so many different like species of um, animals and stuff it's amazing it is i'll i'll do exactly what dad's done I'll, I'll work until i can't work anymore you know and i'll i'll do it here you know i like it here it's nice We hope you liked this episode of The Business of Fishing, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. And big thanks to the Ashley family for letting me tag along while they worked. You can find more episodes of The Business of Fishing on your favourite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a review. Tell us what you thought of the episode. Next time, we dock at Sydney Fish Market with Jason Jujulis and a boat full of spider crab. Obviously, I knew him prior to selling him crabs, I'd be saying to him, bro, what are you selling these crabs for, you know? And um, sometimes I'm getting 40, 50 bucks a kilo, and I was like, I'm getting 20, 25 bucks a kilo, <laughs> doubling my money, and they're not doing anything. Like, <laughs> how's this fair, you know? Yeah, so I just said to him one day, I said, let's just buy a boat. Catch you then. <laughs>